Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com. And welcome to the Partly Political Broadcast, a podcast that is the sum of comedy plus politics, plus referring to Foreign Secretary Boris Johnson as Forrest Lump, and then dividing everything by Brexit. I'm Tiernan Duyeb, and this week I agree with Education Secretary and gormless hairy potato man Damien Hines when he says more variety is needed in the price of university education, which is why I'm pitching that MPs allow students to pay for their studies with juggling and trapeze performances. This week's hot topic that will cost you nine grand to study is university fees, as Prime Minister Theresa, perpetually smelling something awful on her own shoe, May, is announcing a review into why the UK has one of the most expensive systems of tuition in the world. Student finance isn't working, May announced in one of those statements that makes me wonder if Sam Beckett just quantum leaps into her. I mean, we all knew it wasn't working, and unlike her, we didn't actually vote to raise the tuition fee gap in the Commons in 2010. And we're not in charge of the country, so if she's only just finding out about it all, that is pretty worrying. I mean, are we going to get her making a statement in 2026 that Brexit is pretty ropey, to be honest? I mean, I hope not, as that'll mean she'll still be PM by then, which would be fucking grim. Not only that, but this review about tuition fees was actually announced back in October, so again, if she's only just heard about it, that is a little bit concerning. Do you think Theresa May gets constantly baffled by where food has got after she's eaten it? Actually, that does explain her cake-and-eat-it Brexit stance. But yes, this tuition fees malarkey is yet another review that could have just been avoided by Theresa May looking in her bathroom mirror to see you did this written in the condensation. Well, that's not entirely true, actually. She didn't do it by herself. It was sort of a joint effort by New Labour and then the coalition government and then continued by the current Conservative government. You know, it's a bit like when you realise that Tupac and Biggie Smalls did a track together, only rather than some substandard hip-hop, this collaboration just gave us a vapid apologist crying in autotune and then lots of very poor students. Yes, you know, really poor, like beyond the stereotype of students where they just live off pot noodles, freebies and an old Che Guevara poster. No, this, at £9,250 a year with a loan you pay back for the rest of your life, this is more bringing up your kids on pot noodles forever and having to explain to them why you're all living in a dorm room and that, yes, him smoking dope is a great reason to like the Pope. Still, it doesn't look like there's any actual plans to lower or scrap fees as part of this government review. Instead, more just to offer, as they 
Damien Hines suggested more variety. You know, say by giving students an option to maybe only do two years of studying on their course so that they can get to unemployment even quicker. There is also a plan to make some courses cost less than others, uh, depending on their supposed importance, which I guess means that to study modern politics is going to require a cost that you don't notice but somehow ruins everyone else's bank accounts. May is also railing against outdated attitudes that favour university over technical education, which is apparently not in the same category as all the outdated attitudes she loves, such as an island mentality or the feudal system. But I have to say I don't disagree with her views about technical educations. What? I know! Agreeing with May! What is this? Unsubscribe! But I do, I agree with that. I think we need to favour technical education as just as important. And I really hope that Theresa May pioneers this by hiring her next bunch of advisors from a group of people only with NVQs in plumbing. And then at least they should be able to deal with all her U-bends and constantly draining policies. Aforementioned animated pork bun Boris Johnson made the first of the Road to Brexit speeches last week, proving that it's not so much going to be a highway as a dead-end alley that you wouldn't walk down by yourself even in the daytime. Johnson said that he wanted to show Remainers that their concerns would be allayed to the best of his abilities, which isn't really reassuring at all, considering that his abilities involve things like thinking he's helping a woman wrongly imprisoned in Iran by lying about her job to officials. This is basically essentially the same as a dog telling you that it'll allay your concerns about your mortgage repayments to the best of its abilities, only for you to find that it's barking a lot while you're being made homeless within a week. Bojo spent quite a bit of his speech doing hilarious laddie bants with things like quipping about how the right aviation or visa-free travel deal post-Brexit could lead to more British stag going on cheapo flights to ancient cities. Something that, after he said it, probably instantly killed off a number of possible trade deals with countries who quickly realised it'll be far more beneficial to them to deter a bunch of twats from visiting, drinking their own vomit and then trying to shaggle their sacred monuments. Boris also mentioned how many sex tourists Britain sends to Thailand, that he could measure the channel with his sausage fingers, and then he completely forgot to mention Northern Ireland or Ireland whatsoever. Boris said that Brexit is an extension of liberal idealism because, as you know, there is nothing more liberal than closing borders, promoting nationalism, and then assuming Thailand will still let us pop by for a boning session. Ladies and gentlemen, the British Foreign Secretary, a man whose ideal promotion seems to be to become Prince Philip wanting to unite the country by the common denominator that everyone else around the world fucking hates us. During a press conference with Theresa May, the Chancellor of Germany and the depressed Mushroom Kingdom, Angela Merkel, said that she wanted as close a relationship with the UK as possible, because she's obviously heard that phrase about where to keep your enemies. Merkel said that Germany deplore Brexit, which many Brexit supporters have been quite angry about, but actually that just goes to show that if those Brexit supporters were actually more open-minded, more European and bothered to learn other languages, they'd realise that she actually meant deplos, right? Not deplores, D plus, which is German for the badge. Yeah, you see, they badge Brexit, or they the badge Brexit. Yeah, yeah, see, not so bad now. Nah, I'm only joking. To be honest, they also actually think it's really shit. After 13 months, Northern Ireland still has no government, and again, if Westminster is anything to go by, they're actually having a lucky escape. The stalemate, or more stale acquaintance, was meant to be over last Monday, as Theresa May flew over to Belfast, only, in a move that pretty much sums up her career as Prime Minister, nothing useful happened. Leader of the DUP and Paul Merton's evil twin, Arlene Foster, said May's visit was just a distraction. Imagine that, paying someone a ton of money for support and then being shooed away as an irritation. I guess that is the closest May will ever get to having kids. 
Depressing news in the USA as yet again the good guy with a gun still nowhere to be found as 17 people were killed in a Florida high school by a gunman, the eighth school shooting in 2018 so far. It's now sadly becoming more shocking news to hear a day has gone by where it didn't happen. US President and what happens when clown makeup won't wash off, Donald Trump, has blamed the shooting not on the lack of gun control, but on the FBI being too busy proving Russian collusion to preemptively stop it. No, Donald, just because you're unable to do nay even think more than one thing at a time doesn't mean everyone else is the same. Before that, Trump blamed the incident on mental illness, saying that we need to tackle the issue of mental health. Well, considering that he signed an executive order in 2017 to make it easier for people with severe mental health issues to buy guns, and is currently slashing funding for mental health programmes, I mean, if that's what he considers tackling things, then I guess he plays American football by walking on the pitch and handing the opposition the ball and a ton of Colt AR-15s. Of course, again, pro-gun Americans are insistent that actually the problem isn't the ability for anyone to buy assault rifles in a Walmart if they like, and they're instead wheeling out the old crappy arguments about how guns don't kill people, people kill people, which mostly makes me really hope they get done in by a drone strike. The Mueller investigation has unveiled indictments against 13 Russians for interfering in the 2016 US election, something that Trump criticised on Twitter by saying, they are laughing their asses off in Moscow, get smart America, which actually is entirely correct as a statement, but really not in the way he thinks it is. In South Africa, President Jacob Zuma was forced to resign after clinging on to power, despite mass unpopularity for even longer than, well, Theresa May. Zuma openly upgraded his home while parts of the country were starving. He's a proud polygamist and has constantly had allegations of rape and corruption made against him. He defended himself against one of the allegations of rape by saying that he'd showered to avoid catching HIV, because it seems he was legally advised by a schoolboy from 1988, but somehow he was still acquitted. The corruption charges, though, caught up with him, with a court reinstating 18 counts in December last year, and the ANC giving him his ninth vote of no confidence, causing his resignation. Yes, ninth vote of no confidence. He's like a giant cat, feeding well and not giving a shit who feeds him, shagging around and taking nine goes to die. Although, based on my past pets, someone really should have just sped down the road Zuma lived on a few years back and problem solved. Zuma has been replaced by Cyril Ramaphosa, who aims to rid the ANC of corruption, something that I hope happens, but also, based on his name, hope it doesn't happen, as Ramaphosa will sound really great when chanted angrily by crowds. Lastly, UKIP have agreed to sack leader and Andy Circus creation Henry Bolton after a scandal involving his girlfriend sending racist text messages. This means that they're now on interim leader Gerald Batten, who just openly puts racist messages on his website, so maybe the party's problem was that Bolton was a little bit indirect for them. I honestly can't work out for Henry if putting fired from UKIP on your CV is a help or a hindrance. Who knows? UKIP are on the verge of bankruptcy too as a judge ruled that they owe £660,000 of legal bills following a defamation action against one of their MEPs so it does make sense that they scrapped the pound sign from their logo a while back in place of a lion a species that is hugely declining in numbers. Back in 2014, then-party leader and rice-pudding skin wrapped around a jizz sock, Nigel Farage, promised UKIP would bring a political earthquake. And last Saturday, Wales felt a minor 4.2 tremor and UKIP sacked another leader and became broke. Based on Farage's other promises, that seems about right. Oh, and The Sun, a paper solely created for people who think Brillo pads are a vegetable, reported that a former Czech spy paid Labour leader and Captain Sideye, Jeremy Corbyn, for intelligence over 30 years ago. 
That claim has already been refuted by Czech officials, and it seems more that Corbyn met a spy in the Commons who he thought was a diplomat. But I like that Corbyn flits between being called an idiot who can't win anything to being a radical, dangerous spy informant just within days. I mean, which is it? Or is it somehow both? And maybe having a spy informant who's an idiot is the best because that actually keeps info safe from foreign governments because all they do is divulge drivel. Oh, oh wait, is that why Boris is foreign secretary? Oh... Yo, 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 yeah, 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 yo, 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 how are we doing? Uh, and that is my Wu-Tang uh, circa 1997 intro. Um, when I bought the Partly Good Wu-Tang Forever album some years ago, it came with an enhanced CD. CD, remember them? Uh, which, when I put it in my computer, it took about four years to load, and then it was just full of videos of each member of the Wu-Tang leaving a message for you, which mainly went, yeah, yeah, yo, 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 yeah, of the method man, yeah, yeah, yo, 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 yeah, yeah, yo, 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 for about four minutes, and then my computer would crash. Super cool. Um, how are you all? I am T-minus two and a half weeks till the arrival of Baby Dooyeb, um, if they have the same date in their diary, and if they fancy being on time. Um, I spent a good portion of my Sunday trying to put the baby car seat we have into my car, and it turns out it won't click in safely until after I've sworn so loudly that all my neighbours are upset, which is a really interesting design perk. Um, I haven't actually tried all the swears yet, but fucking chair bastard definitely seems to be the magic word, so I'll have to do that every time I put the small one in a car. Um, so the big news this week is that, as promised, I have made a jingle for all the usual shit I say on this show because, frankly, it's got boring telling you where to contact me about the podcast or donate or review. So let's see if this musical adventure makes it all a little bit more interesting instead. Are you ready? Here we go. Thanks very much for listening to the show. Here's some things that you should know. If you want to donate to Powerball Bro, then do it at the site down now below. Patreon.com forward slash Powerball Bro. Kofi.com forward slash Powerball Bro. Yo, what if you want to review the show? Well, do it on iTunes or places you know. What if I just want to say hello? Well, go to the Twitter at Powerball Bro or the Facebook group whose title is long or email me at partlypoliticalbroadcast at gmail.com. Partly political broadcast at gmail.com. Love you! Yeah, so that happened. Um, and if you'd like to never hear that ever again, I suggest you um, donate and review the show accordingly. Yep. Um, I have had a Twitter at this week, an at reply, an at a squirrely A uh, from a listener called uh, Yosuke. Um, I hope I've pronounced that okay. Uh, apologies, Yosuke, if I haven't. I've said it again, probably wrong. That's awful. Um, anyway, um, they probably didn't really want or require a response, but I thought that he hit on a good point. So my response is here. Um, so Yosuke tweeted, um, listening to both Parpol Bro and The Guardian's Brexit Means Weekly is developing an incredibly nihilistic feeling inside me. Good practice towards life in the UK, I suppose. Well, now, firstly, uh, thank you tons for listening to the podcast, Yosuke, really appreciate that. And secondly, um, that is pretty much exactly what you do need to live in the UK, uh, a very nihilistic feeling, that and a basic comprehension of queuing and a really waterproof jacket. Um, but seriously, though, a uh, question to all of you, does this podcast depress many of you? I mean, I'm regularly fed up with all of the politics at the moment, but if my attempts to joke about it aren't quite uplifting enough, please do let me know. And maybe I should add a section uh, for actually fun 
fun or good politics news each week? I mean, I tried to find anything this week that might be fun. Uh, the Australian government have had to place a ban on ministers having affairs with staff due to the deputy prime minister who was against gay marriage because it ruined the institution of marriage and then he had an affair with one of his office workers. Now, look, there is a good five minutes about how ludicrous that is and how on earth you enforce that ban with all of that. But I suppose on the surface, not actually good news, is it? It's just sort of still depressing that adults have to have restrictions on their personal lives because of irresponsible hypocritical arseholes. Uh, I mean, when it comes down to it, I think the actual key is just to listen to this show and any bits you feel are really depressing, just pretend that it's all a sketch I wrote based in a dark timeline. Does that work? All other suggestions to cheering Yosuke and other listeners up, uh, please do send them to email me at partlypoliticalbroadcast at gmail.com partlypoliticalbroadcast@gmail.com. And last ad miniature bit is uh, that occasional podcast and person in charge of the excellent Simple Politics website, Tatton Spiller, is doing a talk in London, which may actually cheer you up if this podcast doesn't, um, as it's going to be on positive politics in a divided world. And that's on the 28th of February at the Lighthouse in Shoreditch at 7pm. And you have to book via uh, funzing.com, uh, which is spelt how it sounds, and it seems to have a booking process based on how to be as uh, unuser-friendly as possible. So enjoy cracking that code um anyway if you do go i'll probably be there as well trying not to ask tatton really annoying questions throughout so do come and say hello on this week's show, I interview Master Youth Coach Bob Singer. And seriously, this is one of those interviews I couldn't wait to release because it's really, really important and funny and uh, sort of galvanising as well. Um, it's a very long chat, so I've not put too much else on this week's show. But have a listen to that interview, enjoy, and then tell everyone else you know to listen to it as well. Um, but in case that inspires you too much, obviously, there is also some Brexit fallout where I'll be looking at Boris Johnson's speech and dissecting it, only to find that inside, it's full of stupid. But of course, to start things off, here's some things. Do you remember some years back when the Department of Work and Pensions, then headed up by stupid big toe Ian Duncan Smith, do you remember when they said in 2012 that benefit claimants should be banned from irresponsible spending of welfare payments on luxury items such as booze or cigarettes? Well, it's just been revealed that the DWP have, in the last two years alone, spent over £100 million on administrating reviews and appeals against disability benefits decisions. I mean, that is a lot of money to be spent on trying their best not to give people any money. I mean, that's like trying to stop people polluting so much with their cars by blocking all the roads with a coal-burning plant. And if that isn't irresponsible spending from the DWP, I really don't know what is. Last week, the Commons Work and Pensions Committee presented their report to Parliament of their inquiry into the personal independence payments and employment and support allowance systems. And seriously, the stuff that claimants told them about the way they were treated was full-on bonkers. And I knew that there were some horror stories in here. We've been hearing about this for a while, but listen to this, right? One claimant was asked when they caught Down syndrome, as though it's just something you get when someone else who has it sneezes at you on the tube. One claimant had in her report that she was able to walk her dog, even though she couldn't walk and didn't have a dog. And someone who reported having suicidal thoughts regularly was asked why they hadn't killed themselves yet. Seriously, who was hired to do these reports? Ralph Wiggum. The companies in charge of doing these assessments are Atos and Capita, who the DWP spent nearly £255 million on last year to do assessments. Capita have a target that says, at maximum, only 3% of their assessments should fail to meet quality standards. But in the three months to November last year alone, 8% of reports had that grading. And in 2015, 56% did. I mean, was the thinking that if the government pay these useless bulks to be fit for work, then no matter what disability you might have, if you're even one iota smarter than a capita assessor, you'll definitely be fine. 
Since October 2015, 875,000 disability benefit claimants have had their payment decisions changed at mandatory reconsiderations, and over 91,000 have won appeals at a tribunal. Challenges to employment and support allowance decisions have equally high results in favour of claimants. So that is great, but so much money has been spent wasting time and stressing people out that you can't help but feel that if the DWP had just spent that money on people's benefits in the first place, everyone would be a lot happier. The Commons Work and Pensions Committee have said that the whole disability benefits process needs urgent change, with elements like recording the face-to-face assessments being necessary to increase transparency and trust, though that does require the capita staff knowing how to record the interview, not just trying to eat the camera or filming their shoe the whole time, which seems likely. The DWP have of course patted their own backs and said that actually the majority of claimants say they are happy with their overall experience, but as we have no film proof of that, we'll never know if that's the truth. They did say in January though that they will review all 1.6 million PIP claims just to make sure that they aren't actually unfair, which all in all will cost another £3.7 billion. So great, because it should be done thoroughly, but also, why didn't you just not make it shit in the first place? Seriously, perhaps from now on, the DWP should have their budget paid onto specific cards that they can only use for sensible purchases and correctly made assessments. I am now in that middle-aged bit of my life where I often look at young people and feel a mix of jealousy and annoyance. Do you know what I mean? Like, how dare they be able to pick things up from the floor without wheezing? What do they think they're doing staying out all night, having fun, and it not ruining the entire week of their lives as they recover? Ugh, disgusting behaviour. But increasingly, there is sadly less and less to be jealous of young people for, with housing, employment, education costs, benefits and living costs all stacked against them like a very well-built Lego wall. I mean, that is what young people like, right? Lego? Yeah? I'm totally down with the kids. Uh, well, Between 2010 and 2016, just under £400 million was cut from youth services in Britain. And now, look, it could be a coincidence, but knife crime was falling until 2011 and has been increasing since. Like I said, possibly just a total and utter coincidence. I mean, maybe Lego started making more Lego knife sets in 2011 or something. It just kind of spurred people on. But chances are, without youth workers to have interventions with teenagers who might otherwise resort to crime, they will likely yep, resort to crime. Knife crime doubled again last year and with no obvious future prospects for many from disadvantaged families and with idiot grown-ups assuming you kids just like Lego, it creates a clear picture of the anger and disillusionment felt amongst today's teenagers. A £45 million fund has been set up in London as a three-year initiative for young people at risk of being caught up in crime, as well as a separate £7 million fund to tackle knife crime in the capital, which is good news, but that might not be enough to recover from eight years of cuts. And this is also a nationwide problem affecting many cities, so it needs a nationwide solution. Like, you know, lots and lots of free Lego or something for the kids. Oh, I don't know. This week, I spoke to Bob Singer, who I met some years ago at a live mayoral election debate where we both really bonded over how much we hate Boris Johnson. Bob is a master youth coach, which not only sounds like an excellent title, but also refers to the fact that he spent over two decades working with young people, their families and training youth workers. He has worked with a number of young people who are at risk and supported them with projects that really utilise their skills. Um, I remember him telling me ages ago about helping lots of teenagers get hired for a really big graffiti art project at an airport and getting paid for it, which is amazing. Bob's also advised a ton of charities, the Government Department of Children, Schools and Families, amongst others, and lots of other companies. So basically, when it comes to youth support, he very much knows what he's talking about. I was really, really pleased that Bob had time to chat because, as you'll hear, he's so very passionate about supporting young people. He's also a very funny man, and he is brilliantly blunt about how he feels about current politics. So I hope you enjoy. Here is Bob. 
do you, I don't know if you remember when I met you, but it was at that ITV London mayoral debate, and okay. uh, we both sat next to each other as Boris Johnson basically lied for about an hour. <laughs> and um, I just remember talking to you afterwards because uh, you'd been quite angry at uh, having to deal with him before, and you're angry at the way that. Um, I don't know, especially sort of London Assembly at the time weren't really helping young people in disadvantaged areas. Um, so I wanted to ask, we're now 2018, um, you know, ha- have has anything changed in London or elsewhere um, with sort of uh, help that's been pushed for young people? Well, yeah, I'm glad that Boris has gone on to a kind of job that's less important and, you know, uh, <laughs> doesn't sort of affect the country now as much as it used to. So, so I'm less angry. I'm not... I'm, Kind of concerned where he is now, and hopefully he's okay. And yeah, generally, I think, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I suppose I go through pangs of angry and then disenfranchised and kind of desperate and then hopeful and optimistic. Pretty much what young people go through, you know what I mean? That's probably why I have rapport with young people because I allow myself to um, feel those feelings, if that makes sense. Because I think most of the people in the audience were thinking, this is bullshit. This is, like, this is, this doesn't make any sense, what you're saying. Your strategy seems a bit off par. It just seemed um, not authentic. Um, And he's continued that. I think anyone that really listens to Boris or supports him have have got vested interest. Mm. I I suppose he doesn't even really believe in it himself. the personal interactions that I've had with him and the strategy. You go, is this, is this, are you saying the right things or do you, like, where's the courage? Where's the bravery to do something different, a bit more cross party, a bit more kind of like, shall we deal with this now? Um, is enough enough? Um, or do we want a sound bite? So, yeah, I remember leaving that and walking to the station with you saying, what the fuck is this? I'm never coming back to one of these things again. And to be honest, I probably kept my word. Um, yeah, the only time was kind of when it was the, the riots or the civil disobedience stuff that happened. We kicked off in Tottenham. Mm. You know, that showed my face and I get invited. I really get invited. You know, I don't get invited to those things often. I was there because, you know, it's a mayor election. It was important. And, you know, we've got a new mayor now. You know, I spent so many years saying London deserves a better mayor. London deserves a better mayor. And I think we have a better mayor now. Now, yeah, hasn't delivered yet. I was yeah. going to say, yeah, has he, has, he, has he delivered on, you know, how, how do you think things have been in the last couple of years with Sadiq now with, with young people? Has it, have there been any good uh, policies or anything that's been pushed through to actually help young people? No. Not so, at all? Okay, bye. <laughs> 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 I just think, I just, you know, I think what happens, is, I'm not a politician, and you probably guessed that by now, and listeners have guessed that now. I'm not a politician. I'm a practitioner. And what happens, our politicians are politicians, so they have to kind of go for the consensus and, you know, say the right, oh, we've got to be tough on crime and the causes of crime. And Sadiq has kind of fallen into that. He has to. You know, he's, he's been elected by loads of different people with loads of different agendas. Um, so it turns into sound bites, and, you know, he, he's guilty of that. And it's a tough job, let's, let's, you know, let's face it. It's a tough job being in a police... It's a tough job being a politician, has to kind of say the strategy that everyone kind of signs up to. Um, people who really want to, like, lock them up, lock them up. And there's other people like, listen, this is this is about let's support some of these people that are the perpetrators. 
um, of, of knife crime or young people that get into trouble or young people that don't seem to be engaging with the services. Um, so he has to appeal to a wide sort of, a, a wide mass of people. Um, and I suppose at the core, the central thing, which is young people can't and the ones that can don't vote. So most politicians are speaking to the people that voted for them. I mean, Boris is a lovely example of that. Still now, you know, Boris says, I, I'm going to talk to the people that are going to vote for me, my, my constituency, my vested interest. Boris is not young. He doesn't live in a high-crime area. <laughs> he doesn't, he's, not, he's not disadvantaged. And, you know, so he's gonna, his, his worldview is, this is what's important in my life. And so his policies, his politics, his strategies, his focus is on his little bit of world. It's so obvious. I mean, he was a beautiful example of that. In many ways, I'm grateful that he exposed that most politicians do that. Kind of, I mean, yeah. that's, it's a really interesting you say that because it does feel like like a lot of a lot of the news lately has just been uh, about, about young people. It's been like youth unemployment's risen, mental health issues in young people have risen, uh, youth homelessness has risen. But yeah, none of the you know, there's very few politicians I can think that kind of would be actively affected by any of that. So, you know, do, do, I mean, do you think it, from from somebody like me who just knows things through reading papers and, you know, into articles, have things got a lot harder for young people? Has it, has it become harder to kind of help young people as well? 100%. Now, I, I mean, I listened to a couple of the podcasts, a couple of episodes, um, and I was thinking, hold on, there's some people that have got some really good statistics, they're really knowledgeable. I think he's chosen the wrong geezer here. But <laughs> I'm going to come from a very common sense approach. Is it harder to be a young person now? Like, would you rather be a young person now than when we were young? And, and sometimes people go, well, now there's loads of different technology and stuff. And I'm thinking, I don't know, I think it's quite hard now. I think it's, it's widely accepted that this generation of young people now, if you're at school now, you have a great chance of being less wealthy than your parents. Hmm. Yes, damning. That's never happened in the history of fucking mankind. Our children could be potentially less wealthier than us and less fucking emotionally stable, if that makes sense. And that's what's going on. You know, like buying a house in London, I mean, these kids are thinking that ain't going to happen. So they have huge challenges. The globalization of stuff, the, you know, the... the we're fucking about to leave Europe. I mean, Brexit is going to be a proper fuck-up for these kids coming through. And we had the benefits of that stuff, the benefits of loads of stuff, of growth, of, of thinking, you know, education. That education, I went to, I had free, someone paid for my fees. Yeah. And, 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 and you think about it, you think, well, so, so my kids, I have to pay for them, but there's loads of kids saying, well, hold on. Uh, the generation before us had loads of stuff that we don't have now. And and so is it harder? I think without a shadow of a doubt. Is it is the hardness different? Of course. Of course, it's different hardness. There's different things. But the, the remaining, the things that stay the same are that we've got kind of upside-down politics. I think that's the, probably the main thing that I could probably offer as a 
kind of if 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 people are listening in and they're looking at the TV and thinking, hold on, this is like more murders, more knife crime, more people are unemployed, more people are disenfranchised, suicide rates going up, mental health challenges, young people kind of feeling disenfranchised. We've got upside down politics. You know, when when the government and 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 the series of government said we're going to take away the winter fuel allowance, for example. Right, so we're gonna mm. we're gonna change how we treat the third age elderly people. Fuck, man, how did that lasted two minutes before someone said, "Yeah, I'm not gonna vote for you next time." Oh shit! And it stopped. Like the winter fuel allowance is the most dumbest. Millionaires are getting 150 pounds to pay for their fucking gas bill. Yeah. Now, yeah, if we yeah, if, if we look at that, if you change the the things that are important to the voters. The voters say, hey, I'm not going to be voting for you, mate. And politicians change. Politicians have realized this is a kind of unkept, like it's a secret, unsaid rule. Listen, we might do some stuff for the young people, but they, they ain't voting for us. They can't vote or they don't vote. And, and, and if we live in a democracy, that you have to serve your constituency. Um, but I think that's upside down. For me, that's an upside down world. Yeah. Because it ignores uh, the fact that young people are going to grow up and become voters. It ignores the fact that young people are the future and young people are the people that need to be cared for. Now, you know, especially if I mean, are you finding when sort of, uh, and I know you now sort of mainly coach people to work with young people, but are you finding, like, how do you work with young people that are so disillusioned that have got nothing to, you know, or feel like they've got nothing to look forward to? You know, if there, if there is no jobs and there is no possibility of buying a house, how do you uh, approach young people and, and try and help them see around that? So that's a difficult question to kind of answer straight away. And what I, what I do is I've, I've so this is my sound bites. I've meaningful conversations with them. I have this, what I'm having with mm. you. So I, I, I'm a one trick. I'm not a pony or a horse. I'm a one-trick... Yeah, like, I don't think I'm a horse. But I'm a one-trick per person, magician. I'm a one-trick person. So I've got one thing. Like, let's... Shall we talk about this? Shall we have a meaningful conversation about this? Someone goes, all right, then. Yeah, all right. Like, so young people are like, fucking hell. I, I, I literally three days ago had a phone call from someone said, um, with a group of young people I'm working with in Hackney, uh, a phone call from a very concerned teenager that said one of the people that we were working with she tried to kill herself on Saturday. Wow. And I'm like, oh, okay. And she said, you know, she's cut her wrist, she's gone to hospital, she's come back, and she's trying to get some support from the local college, she's trying to get some support from over here. What do we do? And I'm thinking, I've only got one trick. You know, is she there? You know, how can I support you? How can we have a meaningful conversation? Like, how are you? So I have a meaningful conversation with them. And people say, is that it? And I say, yeah, that's it. That is it. That is what I do. And that's what I can train other people to do. And, I, I, you know, I, I want to get people out of this fucking, we need a new policy, we need a new strategy, we need to get a round table, we need to go to Chicago, we need to bring people in from all over the... Like, we know what to do. We, th I'm serious. I mean, I'm, I'm genuinely thinking we know what to do here. We need to speak to the young people and say, hey, what's going on for you? Now, how can we help? How, how can we help you? What's your concerns? We have to build trust with them. Hmm. Well, it must um, be really rare for them to have someone that's actually up for listening to them. Yeah, and that's getting rarer. And that's the problem. Like, we're, it's not getting better. 
you know, um, uh, you know, I was on TV raving at the at uh, various police officers. I remember Ian Duncan Smith was on a panel, yeah. and I got into one of these Channel Four things, and uh, you know, I started raving. I started saying, "Look, the decimation of our youth services has got something to do with how much what's happening on the streets and in schools." And 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 people were like, "Oh, yeah, I think it has." You know, we've had some areas have had a hundred percent cuts. Just the, the semantics around, we've had a hundred percent cut in the youth budget. Yeah. That means you've closed down the youth service. A hundred percent cut to me means there is no youth service. You're not transitioning the youth service. You're not transforming the youth service. If you've got a hundred percent cut, <laughs> just there is no youth service to trans. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Form. And do you, is there a, I mean, because, you know, forgive me for saying, if I sound like an idiot with this, but, but the, you know, if you cut youth services, you're saying is there is a direct link to that and say youth crime and knife crime rising, is there? Because, like, you, you often see that on the, you know, you see people saying that the youth centre's cut, but would these kids have had somewhere to go? Would it have prevented? Could, could you definitely say that there's, it would have caused a difference? I, I think so. I think so. But what I, I'm going to say that. Mm. And, what I, what I would love you to do, and in fact, shit, I've forgotten to congratulate you for setting up your own youth service with the baby coming. Oh, right. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very selfish youth service. It's only for one youth. I don't know if that uh, <laughs> if that counts. <laughs> but yeah, genuine congratulations to you. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, and, and you know, we forget, like, because we, this is always the other. When we watch on the news, it's other kids, it's other people. I'm like, I've got kids. I've got a youth service in my house. Yeah? And when we look at cuts, let me give you straight. Let me let me have a meaningful conversation with you, and hopefully people listening, they can answer this question themselves. If you had a budget cut, if you thought, well, I'm earning a bit less, I need to reduce my expenditure, what is the first budget you would cut? Mm. Would it be your children's food? No. Go, mate. Fucking, 
you know, so we live in a country which says, oh, we've had some fuck-ups with the bankers and all the rest of the stuff. We need to cut our how much we spend. So the first place we're going to go is the youth service. And I'm like, does not anybody else think that that is, what, pardon? So like, I've got entertainment budget. Oh, you know, go out to the cinema. I've got a food budget. I've got a mortgage. I've got, you know, uh, utilities. And in the same way, uh, without going all fancy, in a fractal, in a kind of, it's fractally replicated out into our community and into our nation. Hmm. We have utility budget. We have like trains. We have police. We have, you know, uh, agricultural type trade. And we also have a youth service budget or the nurturing of our children. Now, I can see people spending loads on art. And I think art is amazing. I don't want to cut the art budget. But we live in a place where politicians have given themselves wage increases and cut the youth service budget. That's just genuinely like if your next door neighbor, you had Sarah and Abdul who were living next door to you. And they said, yeah, you know what? Uh, Sarah's got a little bit less money, so we've decided to cut the ch kids' budget. But we're still going on holiday, and we're still living ourselves, you know, going to cinema. You're like, what? And that's that's what's happening. We are cutting uh, the central and, I think, the most important budget, which is the nurturing of our children. Mm. Like, if you, in six months' time, say, yeah, I'll call Bobber to buy nappies, I'm thinking, Rob, well, what's going on? That's your job. <laughs> I mean, we'll see how it goes. I don't know what the baby's like yet. I might, <laughs> they, they might deserve it. And so, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but, is there, but, I mean, but this is what I, what I was sort of saying earlier. And I mean, as someone who... Actually, I mean, I say I did I did have youth services growing up. I had after-school clubs and things like that that, uh, that I would go to. But, you know, do you... From working with young kids, you know, do you see a direct kind of... Uh, link between, say, choosing crime or choosing other areas to, to kind of things to do? If, if you haven't got the, the support and things to do, is it, like a, is it like a boredom thing that leads to crime rising? Is it a, you know, a lack of support? Is it, what's it that... That's a good question. Yeah, what yeah, causes it? It's a good question. It's a good question. And I want to answer it in two ways. I am not one of these people that kind of says, all youth work is great. I spent... I've been, I'm a, I've been a youth worker for 21 years. So the first 10 years of my career... I was, you know, the member of the village of the youth work tribe that was, you know, not welcome in the centre. Like, I lived on the edge of the village. Mm. The crazy one that's saying, hold on, that's fucking shit. I used to say, come on, look, this is not good. This is not professional. This is no good. And youth workers know. Youth workers know that some of the service was not up to point. Mm. You know, it was table tennis, not people just getting money, opening, not really providing a good service. So I'm not, I'm not into this thing of, you know, let's just put more money in to shit services. I want to upgrade those services. But I found myself, you know, criticising, trying to improve, exposing bad practice. And then the government's um, and the community response was, OK, let's just shut everything down. I was like, oh, that doesn't seem like the best thing to do. Um, we should have been improving it. Now, what causes it most... Um, sociologists, most uh, academics are going to say it's multifaceted. There's going to be so many multi-factors involved in how come someone's involved in crime or being the perpetrators or the victim or involved in a load of mess. But a real example, we was on a residential, we had a 
group of young people that were vulnerable could be at risk of being included in radicalization or groomed into gangs or groomed into loads of mess, sexual exploitation. You know, there are there are people who are looking for vulnerable people to get them involved in their shit, whether it's radicalization, blowing up stuff and, you know, doing some harm to a certain section of community or whether it's economical selling drugs or whether it's exploiting them. And so they look at those vulnerabilities. Everybody knows what those vulnerabilities are. Broken homes, um, low education, not going to school, being angry, uh, not having a sense or a strong sense of identity, being confused, which most young people kind of go through. Like, mm. uh, you know, that's what childhood is around. That's why we have to be adults and nurture them. And we was at this residential, and on the Friday, there was a Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And on the Friday night, the phone call came. One of the kids who was supposed to be on the residential was shot dead. Jesus. Shot dead. 16-year-old. Jesus. His mates, his mates came into the room with their bags. Bruv, we're going. We're going to fucking sort this out. Those fucking geezers, they're dead tonight. He's like, um... And people that didn't know were in shock. Like we was in shock. What the hell? And they're like, like his body's still on the, it's still on the ground. It's still there. We gotta get there now. We gotta go to the family. So we knew as like my team were there. I was like, okay, this is it. Like, if we have got anything to offer to these young people, then let's fucking offer it now. And the conversations we had with them, because they were like, if I didn't come here, I would have been with him and I could potentially be dead. So we had a conversation about what is anger? Well, like, you're angry. They were angry. Where does it come from? We started having a conversation uh, about hurt, and hurt, if it's not resolved or communicated, turns into, it turns into anger. And so they said, okay, we'll go in the morning. So we managed to, and I stayed up all night, literally stayed up all night. I went into my bed for one hour, at half past six, half past seven, I was out again. We had a meaningful conversation with everybody there. Everybody there was engrossed in saying, this is important to us. Like The decisions we make today are going to be important. Mm. And, and young people, let's also remember, young people that are more likely to be the victims of crime as well, not just the perpetrators. So they walk into school, they go into school, and they've got loads of shit going on at school or in the streets, and they feel vulnerable. You know, why do most young people start carrying knives? Because they think it's protection. Sure. They think, if I don't carry a knife, I could be killed. And, and some of the conversations we have with young people is, no, bruv, a knife is not protection. A shield is protection. <laughs> and they're like, what do you mean? And, and you know, we, we induce that little comedy thing, you know? It's like... Like, a knife is not protection. A knife is an offensive weapon. And, and you're more likely to stab yourself. And if the, the person that you're fighting didn't have a knife, they punch you in the face, take the knife and stab you. That, that conversation is not happening. Sure. However much we think it is, who's going to have that conversation? They're not going to have it with their parents. They're not going to have it with their neighbors. They're not going to have it in the past. They just might have had it with a religious sort of a priest or imam or, you know, a gyani at the Gudwara. They might have had it with someone who was an uncle. But we've got very separated communities now. So in our day, um, we might have, you know, a trusted adult who's a youth worker. 
And if we if we get rid of that layer of trusted adult who's not your family member, who's not your teacher, who's not the police officer, who has an informal relationship with you, then then what happens? It's one less place where that potentially that have that conversation of, hmm, okay, how do I do this? So I am obsessed. I am committed. And I've dedicated my life to enabling young people to be able to have those conversations so they can navigate this stuff. They can navigate this stuff. Because it's not about controlling it or making it less, but at least they can say, okay, I'm going to go and do this. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be able to do this. So having those conversations. I wish I had a, a simpler answer. This is what the cause is. But the cause is that there's loads of different factors some people are running towards it. They want that lifestyle of glamour and excitement of, of variety to their life so that they can, they, they feel, you know, they might have watched some YouTube videos. They might have heard someone else, oh, bruv, it's really wicked. You know, yeah, man, you can get some money. And then they find themselves in a mess. And then they're like, oh, okay, this is not what I thought it was. And my, my, my question to all the listeners is, where do you think they go then? They can't go back to their parents and say, actually, I've been dealing some drugs for the last three months. Who could they go to? And is it our duty to provide that space? Uh, you know, and I'm, I bring it down to the like, parents know this. People know this on an intrinsic level. They might disagree of how we can spend our money as a nation. But as a family, we know. Like, like, I listened to one of your podcasts around the NHS. Hmm. And people know, look, the NHS, we need to fund the NHS. It's very important. When successive uh, governments come in and say, we're not going to fund the NHS, people go onto the streets. And, you know, this is a fundamental issue for us. We know how important the NHS is. But I'm going to ask an even more uncomfortable uh, question, which is, what is the reason we want a, a, a successful NHS? What is the reason we go to work? What is the reason that we need to have a defence trident? What is the reason we need to have a strong economy? Yeah, but it's to protect the children, isn't it? It's to protect our future yeah. generations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when you say it like that, it's, it's like you say, it seems absolutely mad that you put all these things into place and then don't actually protect young people directly, which is completely nuts. Um, yeah, completely nuts. And some people don't say that answer. That's the thing. You know, and, uh, you know, maybe I don't want to bash Boris too much. Or maybe I do. <laughs> Feel free, <laughs> go for it. I do it every week on this show, so because, go for it. So, yeah, some people's answers are well, because we're going to have a stronger economy. Like, we want to have a better national health service so people can go to work so we can have a stronger economy. Uh, we need to have investment in education because we can have a stronger economy. Like, we have to have more money. You know, the reasons why we have to have a transport infrastructure, for example. Like, I know what my reason is. So we can leave a better world there for our kids when we die. Why do we need a better education system for the kids that are coming up so it's better, the world gets better? Why do we need a better environment? Now, Trump is a good example of this. Like, why do we need a better environment so we can make more money? So we can make more money if we mine coal. We don't have a better world for our kids, but we have more money. So it, it betrays their motives mm. and their vested interest. Like I, I, whenever I speak to politicians, and the reason why they don't invite me back is, <laughs> what is the reason you want to do this shit? 
And uh, Boris had a thing of time for action. And Sadiq now has got his strategy, and it's called London Needs You Alive. I don't know why. Yeah. What, what for? What, is it what? because you just want them to go to job and give the tax? Is it just about the money? Because if it's just about the money, then your young people say is the only reason you look, the only reason you're looking at me now, the only reason you're giving me a service is because I've got a problem. Uh, uh, you know, one I think you asked me this question is like, is it harder to engage? Young people who do not have an identified problem have no service really. Like we've created a world where, okay, if you don't have a job, then we'll come and help you. And if you've if you've punched someone else, then we'll come and help you. Like services are designed around people. Before it was like who has the greatest need, but what I'm saying is, the problem has to have like if you've if you've had a problem to a middle class, um, non disadvantaged white male, then we're going to come and deal with you. Sure. It it, it seems like that. Um, if you want to kill yourself, there's pretty much you know go go ahead, mate. Yeah. So it's all it's all it's all reactive, isn't it? There's no preventative. There's nothing about preventing yeah. it in the first place. It's all waiting till there's a problem and then going, oh, I guess we better deal with it now. I think I think the preventive it was the one that first the first cuts came there, and and in many ways I don't want to be a kind of caller of doom, <laughs> but we haven't felt the effects of the cuts yet. But the cuts have happened, but we only feel the effects later on, and the real effects of these cuts. Like the, the the riots in that started in Tottenham and spread across the country were a taster of what it would look like. Because when when people are angry and ignored and disenfranchised and they've got no one nowhere to take that, they take it to the streets. And my contention was if we had an army of youth workers, if we had a front line of youth workers that had trust, had rapport, had credibility with these young people, they would be able to have a dialogue with them to go, okay, let me, what do you want? And they're like, no one cares about us. Okay, what's the best way of doing this? Burning these cars or organizing ourselves? That's the conversation. It's a famous African proverb. If you don't initiate the young into the village, they will burn the village down just to feel the heat. Wow. And, 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 and my thing is, that's what Brexit is. That's what Brexit is. I mean, I think even though it's on the news, even though lots of people are talking about it, we are underestimating the impact of Brexit. Because what Brexit says is there was a huge swathe of our community that felt ignored, that felt disenfranchised, they were on the left of the politics, right of politics. We know it. Labour supporters, old Labour supporters voted for Brexit. Mm. They were they felt unheard. And they said, we're going to burn this motherfucker down. They will burn the village down. And that's what we're doing. We're fucking burning our own fucking economy just to feel the heat, just to feel acknowledged. And that's where we're at. We are genuinely, I mean, I will challenge anyone. I've worked with the perpetrators of racially motivated crimes, the victims of racially motivated crime. Uh, I've worked with people who are grooming people into radicalization. Anyway, when you see these people, they're like, no one's listening to me. I don't know 
know if you get that feeling when you're abroad somewhere and people you speak to can speak fluent English to you and yet you have no clue where to begin with with their language and then you get this overwhelming kind of idea that maybe, just maybe, they're better at this than we are. I mean, that's what I get. I get that a lot. And while Theresa May was in Germany doing a joint press conference with Angela Merkel, I got it again, as Merkel said to the press that she is curious about what the UK's goals are from Brexit. Yes, so am I. The Irish Taoiseach Leo Vradica also said that his government don't know what the Brexit government want Brexit to mean. A BMG poll said that 74% of British people don't have a clue what May wants to do with Brexit, and yet the only politicians asking what the fuck is going on are the German Chancellor and Irish Taoiseach. Is it time to treat politicians like football, where, you know, we'll just hire in a better manager from elsewhere for a while, and May and her cabinet can maybe go coach an under-18s club in Abu Dhabi or something? Sounds about right. Last week, May said that she would be setting out exactly what the UK will be seeking from a Brexit deal, in a speech that she dubbed The Road to Brexit, alongside six other speeches from cabinet members. Finally, everyone thought, some answers! And then we realised that the first speech was from Boris Johnson and we all thought, oh, oh well, we're definitely super fucked then. Why would May let that happen? I mean, you're about to lay down some era-changing plans and you decide the best way to kickstart it is with the dog from Up without his translator collar or good nature. If Boris's speech is anything to go by, then what we will be wanting from a Brexit deal is for Ireland not to exist, we'll be able to travel where we like insulting people and we'll happily spew empty rhetoric with absolutely nothing to back it up. Which, to be fair, based on how Boris does politics, that's pretty much exactly the same as now, so you kind of wonder why he's not up for staying in. Unsurprisingly, most of Boris's speech was about how we just have to deal with whatever they're going to do, how it won't be that bad if we basically lie to ourselves, and then at one point he blamed the housing crisis on the EU, which was a very interesting stance, especially as once freedom of movement stops, we're going to lose even more much-needed construction workers. Then, when he was asked about clarity by a journalist, Bojo thought he'd been asked about carrots, and then went on about the clarity of types of carrots, proving that he can't answer even the most basic of questions without resorting to crudities. Now, I'm not, again, saying that politicians elsewhere have things straight up nailed, but EU Commissioner Jean-Claude Juncker said out and out that Boris's speech was nonsense, as his ideas that the EU want to build a super state are not true and against European Union code. Something that Boris wouldn't know because he spent too many years making his own code up about bendy bananas. To be fair to Johnson, which is a sentence I hope I never have to say again, Juncker has been openly talking about instilling a directly elected EU president and a larger EU budget overall, but to be unfair to Boris, which is more fun, that's still not quite the same, and he was still talking nonsense. Guy Verhofstadt, the European Parliament representative in the Brexit negotiations, called out Boris on the idea that Brexit is a liberal event, which I mean, yeah, he's right. If liberalism is based on the prospects of liberty and equality, and you're making a point of stopping freedom of movement, then it doesn't really quite feel like you're embracing the philosophy. It's sort of like saying that you're part of an anarchist government, or, you know, a fascist diversity training day. Minister for Irish Party Fianna Fáil, Stephen Donnelly, said that Boris completely forgetting to mention Ireland or Northern Ireland was insulting reckless behaviour. So three pretty good, straight-up blunt responses, which I like. And then, of course, you compare those responses with politicians over here. Mainly, Conservative MP Andrew Rossendale, who, when asked why Boris's speech was low on substance and don't people want facts now, he responded with, actually, I'm not sure that they do. Thanks, Andrew. I'm just now going to be screaming forever. And of course, Andrew wouldn't bother to check if people actually want facts, because that would be actual facts. He then went on to say that the Northern Irish border issue would be easily solved after Brexit, but just didn't say how. 
So, okay, I mean, maybe my best theory of what happens now and what the road to Brexit will be is that the UK government will just tell everyone that if we all close our eyes and pretend to be dead, then maybe it will leave us alone. That's, that's got to be it, right? Meanwhile, in Germany, Theresa May warned the EU not to put ideology in front of the safety of its citizens. Incredible. Just incredible. Uh, the other big statement in her speech was that the UK will be pulling out of the EU's joint foreign policy-making body next year so that we can make a truly independent foreign policy for ourselves. Because, hey, why do we need them EU lot when we've got Boris forgetting countries exist and accusing others of being giant brothels? OK, scrap my earlier theory. I think it has to be that by acting this stupid, maybe the EU will just take pity and be nice to us while we quietly fall backwards off a wall. In other Brexit news, Labour have received 20,000 emails from party members asking them to be clearer on their Brexit policies, which shows that still the leadership's views, or lack of them, aren't really in line with the party it keeps saying are the ones that decide the policy. It also says, I mean, holy shit, they have a good amount of storage in their email inbox. I mean, mine collapses if I accidentally CC myself into a group email. Former Labour leader and constant bridesmaid Neil Kinnock has warned Corbyn that they need to stop Brexit to save the NHS, which is not incorrect when considering both the economic effects on an already faltering system and the amount of NHS staff who are EU migrants. And then there's also likely the fact that no one's considered, which is that NHS wards will be over full and stretched to the limit due to vast amounts of people injured from violently kicking themselves when it all goes tits up as well. Apparently, many in the Shadow Cabinet are going to confront Corbyn this week, demanding Labour's stances to stay in the single market and customs union. But until they do that, the party just seems to be backing a jobs-first Brexit, which is a bit vague, and considering what the UK is going to lose first, sounds like it could be quite a lot the same as the government's. Lastly, a transatlantic group of Conservative think tanks is trying to lobby ministers to avoid converting EU safety standards as part of the EU withdrawal bill, so that a US trade deal can be set up for a ton of meats, drugs and chemicals that are currently banned, and in some instances, all three combined into one product. OK, OK, new theory, a new theory. Maybe the road to Brexit plan is just to make us all so full of weird hormones and opioids that we won't notice. Whatever happens. Yeah? Maybe that's it. Oh, and Japan has said that they see Brexit as an act of self-harm, and that comes from a country whose ancient history had samurais committing seppuku or harikiri, but there is nothing in Japan's comments to suggest that Britain will be doing it to die with any honour at all. Still, at least we'll be full of weird chemicals so we won't feel a thing, right? Every cloud? And now, back to Bob. It's all, it's all sort of uh, misdirected anger, isn't it? It's, it's their own... A lot of people feel just ignored and upset and, and angry and as though, you know, no one gives a damn about what they think and therefore they direct their anger at the first thing they can lash out on, I guess. And, it's tr- and, and, and they're right. And, it's the, and they're right. You know, have we had uh, a, co- a, a meaningful conversation about immigration? No. No. Like, are we willing to hear things that might disturb us, that might make us feel uncomfortable? No. We just shut your mouth. You can't say that. Go away. Until they take to the streets or Brexit. You know, who's listening to someone that is um, concerned about immigration? Fucking Nigel Farage, EDL, Britain First. These are the people that are like, yeah, like, we'll listen to you. And then in their droves, people went, yeah, okay, these guys are listening to us. Yeah, they might be Nazis and my granddad fought against them, but at least they're listening to us. Like, I've spoken to these people in my community. I've fucking born and bred in Newham. I've spoken to these people, my next door neighbour. I've spoken to people, they're like, no one's listening to us. And I'm like, this is a common thing. And that's what young people say. Young people say, listen, I'm not very good at school. I'm getting all these grades wrong. 
And everyone's saying, you've got to pass your grades, and then that's the way you're going to get your successful in life. And I'm kind of feeling that I'm not going to pass my grades. So this guy over here is offering me a way out. Like, if I just hold this package at my house, he's going to give me 50 pounds. Bob, tell me, am I supposed to say no here? I don't want to sign on. That's going to, that's, that's, that's not for me. This is how, this is my life. Yeah, I might go to prison for two years, but that's okay. I'm willing to do that. I've got no other future. Now, if I say, shut your mouth, you'll go to prison, son. Or if he's got, no one's listening to me, no one's listening to me. The only person that's listening to that person's concern is the guy that's trying to get him selling the drugs. That cannot be, that cannot be the situation um, that we want in our country, you know. Um, and as youth workers, we know this. And youth workers are, you know, an interesting breed that have not agreed. They're infighting that's going on. I try to stay away from that stuff and um, you know, I'm going to blame you if anyone comes back to me and say, what have you been saying about us? Someone's saying, he invited me. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, t- I'll take it, I'll take it, yeah. <laughs> you know, he invited me. I mean, it's, it's, I think it's the greatest challenge to our nation that we have forgotten that the nurturing of our children is the fucking main and most important thing. Like, you're going to find out in a month or two months' time. It will be the most important. You will put everything else on hold. I know, I've got two kids. When my kids were born, I forgot to sleep, I forgot to eat, I just, nothing else was important. I like that you forgot to sleep, not that they stopped you sleeping, which is what I'm terrified about. I, but I, but I, I totally agree. And I, let's let's try and I mean, I, I, I'm as terrified about everything, uh, you know, at the moment. I feel like we're we're definitely in this country now that is just ignoring people's needs, left, right, and centre, and it's really horrible. So. If we can try and I, mean, I don't know I always try this with uh, with my guests and I'm not sure that there is a way. If there, what is what is something that people can actively do right now? Is there anything that people can actively do? Is there anything that they can actively engage in to work with young people if they're interested, or any campaigns they can support? Um, like, what would you recommend the listeners? Because I mean, at the moment, a lot of this stuff, like you say, it feels really helpless because it probably is. But what could you recommend people try and do? So two two things. One is I'm gonna restore the hope. Here we go, everybody. <laughs> Great. Take the take the knife away from your throat. You know, move away from the fucking cliff or whatever that you're gonna go. It's all horrible and stuff. You know what I think? I've, I'm a great believer in seasons, seasons of life. Right. Now in youth work field, I, I've got this thing that I say to youth workers is we're in the winter season, right? And they're like, oh, that doesn't sound very good. I'm like, it's colder. And it's longer and it's harsher than it's ever been before. But this season will pass. Now, whoever's prepared for this season, and some people love the winter, you know, fucking I don't, but there's loads of people that like the winter. They go, oh, it's nice, you can stay inside. Like my wife, she loves the winter. And when I ask her, what do you like about the winter? She says, oh, you can be cozy and you've got the blankets. But she's prepared for the winter. But for people that haven't prepared for winter, it don't feel nice. What I console myself about the winter is spring is on its way and spring will come afresh you know one of the good things about the winter is shit youth services are dead now sure like we are you know you know when when winter's harsh and bitter it kind of all the trees and all the leaves it's a kind of clearing and cleaning process like the bullshit of sound bites of reports of unfilled promises that's over now People can see through that. We're going to reduce knife crime. Vote for me. 
people are like, no, you're not, are you? And this over-dominance of the government will help us is going to finally crack. And I would advise, I would advise listeners, me and you, genuinely, like, I'm not a big thing of, I'm not a politician, so I'm not like, everybody do this. I'm, I'm like, genuinely speaking to you now, I'm like, there's going to be some tough times for you in the next couple of months. You, your partner, you're going to be going like this. you got to reach out. you got to reach out to me. you got to reach out to other people. It's like, how, how do we do this? Like, people have got loads of different strategies about, you know, don't put the kid in your bed and all that fucking <laughs> yeah. bullshit. And I, I realized all of that don't mean fucking shit. I've got to work out something that works for me. Hmm. And I would advise the, the listeners to say, Let's have some meaningful conversations with the young people, the people that you're scared of, the people that you think, oh, they're creating the problems. How could you have, how could you get closer to having a meaningful conversation with them? How could you listen to them? Really listen to them. Really listen to see that behind their anger might be some hurt. How could you smile at instead of across the street? How could you speak to your own kids? And that's, if there's one thing to take away is... That's what's going to make the difference. Smaller steps. Like, if you're in school and you're dropping your kids off to school and they're at that school age, maybe you can speak to some of their friends. It's okay. No one's going to say anything to you. Maybe you can say, hey, how's it going? Maybe you can encourage to have a conversation. Turn the fucking TV off. How about that revolutionary idea? And say, how's it going? Listen. Rather than just shouting at the kids or just saying, you know what, as long as I work, as long as I give them pocket money, as long as they've got an iPad, everything's okay. That's the problem here. It's not just Boris that thinks money will cure everything. Um, I, I really like that as a, a general phrase of it's not just Boris. It's a, it's a really good, <laughs> like, <laughs> it's not just Boris. Um, no, that's great, man. That's really, um, I think I think that's really important. And I just want to ask you one one final question. Um, yeah, is uh, simply, again, something I ask all the guests is, uh, apart from yourself and uh, your website and your Twitter, uh, what other current um, youth campaigns, charities that, that you, you know, what other ones do you look at and think those are, they're doing good work at the moment that you could recommend other people follow or look up online where should people check things out you know i want to answer that a little bit in my style <laughs> um because i can mention there's some great people you know I, I work with robin lockhart who is a youth worker of the year for the entire commonwealth you know i get to spend my days and strategize with him so robin lockhart is someone um dr brian belton is a youth work legend so how to engage with young people what youth work is and he's pioneering that dedicated his life David McQueen, a great inspirational speaker that goes into schools, dedicated his life to young people. You know, there are legends, and I, I miss some other people, and people are going to find me up. How do you fucking say my name? But what I'm going to be saying is there is a place that I want you to follow, listeners. There is a place that you can go into to find out how to do this, and it's called your own motherfucking sense.com. <laughs> I should buy that URL. <laughs> you should, yeah. <laughs> it's like people fucking know what to do. You know, these are kids killing each other. These are kids that need to have a job. We, we know how to do this. Now, we need to stop listening to the fucking bullshit and the other propaganda that says, no, 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 it's all of this other stuff and it's all of this other stuff. When we dig past some of that news features, people know what to do. And if you want to follow someone on Twitter, it's you. <laughs> it's, it's your own common sense. This is, the answer is not outside. Yeah, that uh, we went spiritual then, so not very comedy <laughs> podcast here. But you know, this this really comes down to 
If this was your own kid, what would you do? People know this. People intrinsically know. We have forgotten, but my hopeful, optimistic nature says that spring's going to come. Like, when we, like, spring is about renewal, start again. And when we start again, we say, hold on, hold on. It's not that we go, let's spend it out on all these other things and then finally have whatever we left for the young people. I want us to start with the young people and then then start around. And, and that's what everybody wants. Genuinely, everybody wants. Trident is not more important than youth services. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think, uh, like, like you say, almost just get off Twitter and do it yourself. Uh, also, I'm going to buy my baby a shield. That's what I've decided after chatting to you. Yes. Um, that's one of the first things I'm going to do. <laughs> Thank you to Bob for that. He is such a good, clear, down-to-earth speaker, and I hope you found that as uh, interesting and as galvanising as I did. Um, we actually had about 20 more minutes of chat after I tried to wrap up the interview. Um, we just carried on. Um, so I'm going to edit that, and I'll send that out as an extra in the week as well, should you wish to listen to that. And if you don't wish to listen to that, it's an extra, so you don't have to. Um, Bob can be found on Twitter, at Bob Singer, which is uh, S-I-N-G-H-A. Um, and uh, I do I'll pop those Twitter links on the podcast blurb, uh, has anyone anyone ever noticed? No one cares. Should I still bother? Okay. Uh, Bob's website is bobsinger.com and the people that he recommends are Robin Lockhart, who is on Twitter at robinlockhart68. That's Hart, H-A-R-T. David McQueen, who's on Twitter at David McQueen. And Dr. Brian Belton, who seems to have issued an online presence because, you know, he probably enjoys life or something weird. Um, As always, if you have someone that you'd like me to interview or a subject you'd like me to find someone to interview about, please let me know. And since asking for grassroots organisation contacts last week... I have excitedly had just one person recommend a group. So thanks for that one person and everyone else pull your finger out, you know, unless it's keeping a dam blocked, in which case leave it there. And I totally understand why you haven't sent me any ideas because you're pretty busy. Anyway, if you do want to send uh, on any of those sort of things, you can do that at, and oh yeah, the jingle's going to happen again. Deal with it. Email me at partlypoliticalbroadcast at gmail.com. Partly political broadcast at gmail.com. Deal with it. And that's all for this week's Partly Political Broadcast. Uh, thank you for listening and don't forget to. Thanks very much for listening to the show. Here's some things that you should know. If you want to donate to Potball Bro, then do it at the site down now below. Patreon.com forward slash Potball Bro. Kofi.com forward slash Potball Bro. Yo, what if you want to review the show? Well, do it on iTunes or places you know. What if I just want to say hello? Well, go to the Twitter at Parpo Bro or the Facebook group whose title is long or email me at partlypoliticalbroadcast at gmail.com. Partlypoliticalbroadcast at gmail.com. Love you! Should that jingle still be there next week? No? No, probably not. Still, if nothing else, it's probably made you miss me tediously repeating it uh, every week instead. No, not that either? Oh, okay. Well, if you have a better jingle, then you know where you can send it to. You can send it to... Email me at partlypoliticalbroadcast at gmail.com partlypoliticalbroadcast at gmail.com <laughs> and thank you to Acast for hosting the show and to my brother the last sceptic for the beat and plinky plinky sounds uh, this will be back next week when no doubt Theresa May will be exclaiming shock and disgust at what she had for breakfast that morning while planning to have exactly the same breakfast the next day but more of it goodbye Ness. 
This week's show was brought to you by Boris Johnson's Lonelier Planet Travel Guides, containing maps of your chosen destinations that have no actual bearing on reality, a brief history of the country but only up to 1951, and a selection of phrases you can say to make sure you get punched in the face within minutes of arriving. Boris Johnson's Lonelier Planet Guides, for the travellers who don't like to see past their own massive ego. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com <laughs>